When the life sciences industry gathers in San Francisco for the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference Week, will you be ready? It's important you're able to take advantage of all the opportunities. Don't get left behind. Big 3 Bio has created BioWeek SF, an online resource that guides you through event schedules, receptions, meeting space information, and consulting services. It provides exclusive savings and more to help attendees make the most of their J.P. Morgan week. Go to BioWeekSF.com for more information. That's BioWeekSF.com. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. In the second installment of our three-part review preview series of podcasts, we continue an annual tradition by sitting down with Adam Feuerstein, senior biotech writer for STAT, to discuss the year that was in biotech and what to look for in 2018. We spoke to Feuerstein about the themes that emerged in 2017, his annual Best and Worst Biotech CEOs, and what he'll be watching at J.P. Morgan and beyond. Adam, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's good to be with you, Danny. We're going to talk about the year that was in biotech, how the landscape is changing, and what's ahead in the new year. But let's start with the big picture for biotech stocks. What kind of a year will 2017 be remembered in terms of of biotech stocks? You know, I think it was a year, uh, it was sort of a, uh, it was a little bit of a bifurcated year. Uh, You know, you had basically the first half of the year where uh, stocks were up. Investors were happy. Um, you know, it seemed like it was just going to be one of those years where biotech stocks outperformed the broader market. And then sort of mid-year, things kind of turned and uh, stocks sold off. And, you know, for most, uh, you know, indices sort of started to underperform the broader market. So, you know, really the kind of year investors had pretty much depended on sort of how you were invested and when you were invested. Uh, you know, stocks that were sort of flying high in the beginning of the year uh, sold off significantly in the second half of the year. So really, you know, timing was timing was key for, for performance in, uh, in 2017. Well, I, I noticed a, a story the other day in Motley Fool about top biotech performers this year. It, it struck me as an interesting list because there were a number of names, certainly as a former Bay Area biotech reporter, that would be familiar to you. These are companies that have been around a long time and suddenly sprung to life in 2017. I'm thinking here of companies like Sangamo, Alnylam, Nectar, and Zoma. Mm-hmm. What what do you make of that? Um, you know, I think a lot of companies. I mean, this was a year where uh, you know, if we just sort of get away from the stock prices, uh, you know, this is a this is a really good year for uh, you know biotech innovation. You know, for lack of a better term, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, you had, you saw some significant advances with cellular therapies, you know, CAR T, the first CAR T approvals this year. Um, you saw, uh, you know, literally, uh, as we're speaking of Denny, I mean, Luxterna was approved. The first gene therapy to treat a rare inherited disease was approved. 
uh, you, ha- you had some significant clinical data around other gene therapies this year. So, you know, from the idea that, you know, you want to sort of see biotech companies um, develop kind of, you know, scientifically groundbreaking uh, medicine for patients, it, it was a good year in that respect, and I think that's reflected in, in, in some of the performance of the stocks you know, that, that did as well as they did this year. We're doing a, a series of year-end podcasts. Last week, we spoke to Brad Lancour of Lancour Investments. He talked a little bit about the lack of generalist participation in the biotech market. Is that a concern? Does it mean that there's more upside here? It is a concern, uh, you know, and, and, it, and I think it reflects what I said earlier about you know the kind of the, the sort of the year being bifurcated into sort of a first half of the outperformance and a second half underperformance. You, you saw significant outflows. Um, uh, you know, of money out of the biotech sector in the second half of the year, and I don't know, maybe maybe people were just investing it in Bitcoin or something. But uh, uh, you saw that, and that's a trend. So where I think you know, I haven't seen the latest figures, but essentially, we're, I think the sector was sort of you know, from a fund flows perspective, it was sort of almost flat for the year, and that's definitely something to watch uh, and, and and somewhat of a concern as we sort of go into 2018 to kind of see where you know where money is where money is being put to put to work in uh, you know in the market and whether or not uh, biotech can kind of regain the interest of general investors. Well, as you mentioned, it's been a year of, of exciting technologies coming to market. Uh, you mentioned the first CAR-T therapies, the first digital pill, the first gene therapy for a genetic-based disease. We're on the cusp of RNAi therapies becoming a, a reality. Is anything knocking your socks off? Well, I think, you know, I feel like, honestly, I feel like I've written so much about gene therapy this year. Uh, you know, I was joking that I'm sort of almost become like, it's become, I've become like the gene therapy reporter. Um, so I think those, I think those, those therapies and those, that technology to me, I think is, is, is probably the most remarkable step that I've written this year, just from the potential of kind of a, you know, a one-time cure for these rare inherited diseases. Uh, I think that has, a, you know, the potential to really change patients' lives. And, you know, and from a business perspective, from a business perspective, it's probably a little bit more um, up in the air, just given that, you know, we still don't know how these gene therapies are going to be priced and reimbursed. And like I said, you know, we, you know, today, Luxterna was approved, um, you know, the company is not going to disclose price until early January, and then we'll see, you know, sort of how, you know, kind of how that rolls out and how how uh, how insurance companies deal with, with something like that, which, you know, could easily cost about a million dollars per patient. How about in terms of clinical failures in 2017? Any blowouts stand out for their surprise or their impact? Um, you know, I think that, you know, from a sort of immuno-oncology standpoint, there were some, you know, I think there were some sort of, you know, I, I would just call those sort of moderate setbacks in terms of kind of the rollout of, you know, checkpoint inhibitors. We saw, you know, AstraZeneca sort of stumble with their uh, lung cancer, uh, lung cancer checkpoint inhibitor. Um, you know, and, and I think that there's the big question mark in that whole world is probably uh, the viability of the combination therapies. You know, I mean, we're, you know, it's going to be a big, uh, it's going to be a big deal in 2018, um, especially as we look at um, the, the phase three clinical trial that Insight and Merck are running, you know, with uh, with an IDO inhibitor combined with a checkpoint inhibitor in melanoma, a phase three study. That's really going to set the tone for kind of for this combination therapy approach in uh, immuno-oncology. Um, that, that, you know, there's, there's so much investment and so much development going on 
uh, in that world that uh, this first kind of phase three clinical trial will be really important. Well, clinical successes and market successes are two separate things. You talked about the the pricing issues of, of Luxterna that will be coming up. How challenging is it going to be for these new products to achieve market success? Well, I think what just one of the trends you're seeing is, uh, is the increased uh, sort of the powered influence of the insurance companies to um, really sort of meter uh, access to patients and to sort of, sort of draw a hard line on, you know, pricing, reimbursement, uh, again, access. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about the FDA being, you know, more lenient and, and approving more drugs. I mean, we're on the cusp of them sort of almost setting a record for the number of drug approvals in a year. Um, but the downside of that is that with more drugs approved, uh, you know, some drugs could get approved that have sort of moderate efficacy. Uh, and, and at that point, it sort of empowers the insurance companies to sort of have more of a role in, in, you know, in whether or not they're going to give their patients access to those medicines. So that's, you know, that's kind of a, that's, that's something that's evolved and it's become increasingly important over the last couple of years. And I think in 2018, that will be a key question is, is as we see some of these new drugs launched, you know, whether it's the RNAi drugs and, you know, gene therapies, um, you know, how, you know, what do the insurance companies do? I think you can see this a little in the uh, last quarterly call that Spark had where they were talking about their considerations around pricing. But it's interesting that Luxturna is going to be the first gene therapy for genetic disease and that it's it's not a life-saving therapy per se. It's it's something that patients may value much greater than, than payers. And, and I'm wondering how that may shape the decision in, in weighing that. That is a, you know, Danny, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, Luxterna treats a rare inherited form of blindness. Uh, in, you know, if you listen to the FDA advisory panel, I mean, the, the testimony from the patients was incredibly moving. And you could tell that this is a drug that has a significant impact and improvement in their lives. Um, but, you know, again, it is not, it's not like a disease where, you know, it's not like an SMA where it's a fatal, you know, or almost universally fatal disease. Um, so yeah, that, what that, what that role plays and how insurance companies deal with that, uh, is, is something that we'll all be watching now, you know, with Luxerna and that, that disease, it's, you know, there's literally like a hundred or so patients. So, uh, from that, from, from sort of a big picture, that point, the you know the sort of the financial impact to the insurance companies is probably relatively small. But as you sort of look out more broadly to where gene therapy is going, uh, you know there you know, you're talking you can get into some big numbers uh, when you talk about access to patients. So that will be uh, something important to watch. This is a time of year for naughty and nice list. You brought yours to stat. You picked the finalists and readers vote on them. Let's start with the the best CEO in 2017. Al Nylum's John Marginori took the honor. What's the case for him? You know, uh, you know, John uh, runs as CEO of Al Nylum Pharmaceuticals, and you know, this year they had the first phase three successful phase three study of an RNAi interference drug. Uh, and you know, for that, uh, you know, that uh, again, getting back to what I said earlier about sort of biotech innovation, and you know, the meeting, uh, you know, sort of the clear benefit for patients. Uh, you know, he was a he was a finalist, and uh, and I opened up the voting to, to my readers, and they they chose him. You know, he he sort of you know second place was was Ari Beltegren from uh, from Kite Pharma. Uh, you know, obviously uh, them 
developing one of the first CAR-T therapies and then uh, Ari selling uh, Kite to Gilead for $12 billion. Uh, he certainly is a top contender for, for CEO of the year. Uh, how about on, on the naughty side? Worst CEO this year was Network's Patrick Sun Chiang. Why Sun Chiang? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have, you know, I have fun with the, the worst CEO of the year. And, and, and like I said, Patrick, uh, Patrick Sun Chiang won. Or lost, I should say. I don't know how you want to describe it. Picked out this year, and you know, mostly just because of some of the, I think, you know, uh, some of the claims, sort of unsubstantiated claims he's made in terms of being able to, uh, you know, sort of bring technology to bear in uh, in in the diagnosis and cure of cancer. Uh, you know, lots of promises made, but not a lot of deliver uh, deliverable, uh, uh, you know, actions on his part, and uh, a rapidly declining stock price. So. Uh, he was uh, he was voted the worst. Well, let's talk a little about politics. It looks like the tax bill is going to pass a victory for corporate America. There's an eye towards the potential for drug countries, drug companies repatriating monies that are sitting overseas. Does this trigger new M and A activity? And will 2018 be a year driven by driven by clinical developments or or by M and A activity? Well, I, you know, I think that if you if, if anybody went back and listened to uh, the call, we've, we've been doing this call for a while, Danny. I think if anyone listened to the calls we've done in years past, I think M and A always comes up as kind of on the top of the wish list uh, for the biotech industry, and it's always I always feel like it, you know there's always a prediction like this is the year that we're going to see tons of M and A. Uh, you know, 2017 was not that year. It was a you know other than you know really kind of the, the kite Gilead deal. There wasn't a huge amount. Of, of M&A in 2017, uh, and as you said, so with uh, with tax reform uh, that looked like it, you know looked like it's going to be passed, and uh, repatriation of, of uh, profits from overseas coming back into the country, there is a high expectation that uh, a big pharma and, and maybe to some extent big big biotech will use that money um, to make acquisitions. Whether that happens or not, we'll, we'll have to see. You know, there's been. Uh, some surveys out there where you know you can see companies maybe just using those money like they have in the past for share repurchases or increasing the dividend, um, you know other sort of shareholder friendly measures, uh, and not allocating that money to M and A. But uh, you know the, the thesis for M and A stands, and you know that you know oh, there's there are companies, pharma companies, who have depleted uh, depleted pipelines and uh, and and drugs that are going off patent. So you know I guess it remains to be seen how you know, whether or not we see a lot more M&A in 2018 than we saw in 2000. The year also brought us a new FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb. How does that pick shape up? Uh, everyone loves Scott Gottlieb. <laughs> I, w- I would say he's probably the most popular uh, FDA commissioner in a long time from a from an industry perspective. I think, you know, I mean, look, to, I think to his credit, I think Scott has done a, a really nice job of getting, of, of, you know, of getting into the job and sort of hitting the ground running. Uh, he's very active. Uh, he's done a lot. I think he's, you know, he's, he's, he's done a lot of, I mean, you know, I think he's sort of come through and delivered on a lot of things that he said he was going to do, particularly when it comes to trying to speed up drug approvals, um, trying to sort of do what, you know, from what the FDA is and what they can do in terms of trying to sort of tackle drug pricing, you know, whether it be, you know, sort of accelerating or making it easier to get like complex generics approved. Um, so, you know, I think uh, he's done, you know, from that, he's done an admirable job. And I think generally he gets high marks and, you know, well-deserved. Anytime there's serious talk in the U.S., 
of government taking steps towards any kind of measures to address drug pricing, biotech stocks quickly lose their luster. We now have a, a deal maker in chief who boasts about his negotiating skills and has talked about having the government negotiate drug prices. Anyone taking this seriously as a threat in 2018? I think that I think that people people took the threat very seriously in the beginning of the year, and, and I think you saw that reflected in stock prices that were very volatile. Whenever, uh, whenever Trump tweeted or when he had his meetings, you know, with pharma, and he talked about, you know, he talked about it. I think as the year went on, and it became clear that there wasn't going to be a lot of actual action in Congress to do anything other than maybe hold the occasional hearing. Um, I think, you know, I think most people started to tune it out. Now, I will say 2018, I think it, I think it could come back, uh, in that, uh, you know, we're going to start thinking about the midterm elections, um, you know, in 2018, you know, the, the midterm elections in 2020. Um, you know, these things are going to become more important. And, um, I think you could see sort of a renewed sort of bipartisan effort in Congress to do something, uh, on drug pricing. You know, there is, uh, I think there's interest on both sides of the aisle to, to, to have something done. And um, if it can become sort of a campaign issue, um, you know, that could actually spur something act concrete to happen. So, you know, while right now I think, like, I agree with you, Danny, that, like, right now I think people are kind of tuning it out. Um, I think people will be tuning that back in during, during 2018. With J.P. Morgan on the horizon, who do you want to hear from this year? And is there anyone you think might wow the crowds? Um, you know, I don't have any, like, I don't really have any particular company in mind that, um, uh, you know, super interested. I mean, you know, again, I mean, we, we sort of keep going back to Lexterna and Spark. Uh, you know, they'll, I think it'll be interesting, obviously, now to go to hear how, you know, they talk. I mean, I think they're presenting on the first day, uh, at, uh, at JP Morgan. Um, hopefully that at that point they'll have something to say or they will use that forum to talk about the pricing for their gene therapy and reimbursement. But that will probably be a real big key uh, on that first day. Uh, you know, Celgene is always the traditional sort of first presenter at, you know, in the, on the Monday morning at JP Morgan. Obviously, they had their share of troubles in 2017 when they had to sort of they had to pare back their long-term guidance. So I think people are, will be looking to that presentation to, you know, to kind of just sort of see where, see where the, what's going on with that company, what's going on with Celgene, particularly over the long term. Um, and, you know, there's always, there's always, hopefully there's always a bunch of surprises at the meeting and that it's a newsy meeting. I think, you know, the best sort of JP Morgan meetings are the ones where, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's either a lot of deals announced or there's just kind of a lot of bunch of news. I mean, personally, as a reporter who covers this meeting, I, I like news. So uh, that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> Adam Feuerstein, Senior Biotech Writer for STAT. Adam, thanks as always. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.